Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting, actually, in the shadow of the Ozarks from Branson, Missouri. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and sunny greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, sir, to our live show that we bring you guys every single week to give you our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening, and how you're going to be able to combat the crazy, crazy leftists. Now, of course, uh, this is a little bit weird. I know that we didn't, um, you know, we didn't really have like a theme coming through and everything. So we're still having weird issues with our software, but it'll be totally fine. But if you are up on the chat, I would really appreciate it if you let us know that everything's working fine on your end so you can see us, hear us, and everything sounds awesome. Uh, and then, you know, we'll go from there. So as long as you can hear our voices, everything else should be going great. So just let that, yeah, looks like we're coming in clear. That's fantastic. So the issue isn't Rumble for those of you who have asked. Um, it's actually the software that we use for whatever reason, having issues like picking up separate sound audio. Now, this is probably going to be solved by buying an expensive, um, separate audio board uh, that I'm then going to have to fiddle with during the show. I was trying to avoid that, one, for the expense, and two, for the fiddling with other knobs and levers during the show, but it's totally fine. Uh, what we don't want is all the weirdness that we've had. Now, I will let everyone know, um, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Branson, Missouri, which is a bananas place if you've never been. Uh, I happen to know some people that are from Missouri. Uh, great people, beautiful state, I will admit. Uh, Branson is a hilariously just absolutely weird place. Uh, it's like Disneyland for, um, I don't know, my kind of people. It was it was a place that I knew a, a lot of people would go visit where I was growing up, but it's obviously a lot of weird. It's sort of like all the shows from Las Vegas um, mm. kind of thing without like any of the gambling. Like, that's kind of the idea. But there's, like, big, like, crazy names out here. Like, Dolly Parton owns a whole bunch of attractions out here. And it's just, it's a very fascinating place. But I'm out here because my father's uh, helicopter, Vietnam helicopter company, uh, the the, Viet, yeah, the unit he was in, has a reunion every single year. And even though my father passed away in March, as many of you know, I was invited to come back out. So I'll be spending the week in beautiful Branson, Missouri, uh, enjoying as much barbecue as I absolutely um, can, you know, can attempt. Can handle. <laughs> can handle. Yeah, as much as I can handle, uh, which I think, no, it's it's not as much as I can handle, Alan. It's as much as I should handle because I can handle a lot more than I should. <laughs> um, so... Now it's a uh, it's fascinating. It's a beautiful sunny day. Uh, we're heading into fall, which is one of my favorite times of the year, um, and so it's just it's a really cool time to travel. This is always a really neat thing that I've done that I did every year with my father. It's uh, great to be out again. Um, you know, obviously a little weird. You know, there's there's the strict absence of it, but it is it's very cool to visit. It's very great to be able to spend a week. Um, with a lot of older people who previously served as Alan and I did, uh, but served in a different war in a different era and get their perspective on things. So this is always a very energizing time for me because, you know, number one, um, 
being able to sit and and let these guys tell their stories is a really fantastic opportunity for me and something that I certainly don't want to pass up. I love being able to relay them sometimes on this program as I've done in previous years. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's a there is a brotherhood that happens among veterans. And so uh, that's one of the subjects that's coming up again, uh, especially, you know, with tomorrow being September 11th and just everything that kind of came after that. There's always a lot of uh, interesting focus uh, that will kind of come in uh, about previous conflicts and veterans and, you know, the national service, people in the military, all of that kind of coming together. And so it's just a very interesting time to be out here. But uh, I don't know. That was just my random uh, monologue on why the hell I'm in Branson, Missouri, I guess. Sure. Well, it no. seems like a neat place. Certainly don't know where I certainly have been there myself. But from what you said, I am kind of curious. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, well, first of all, it's uh, Branson specifically is cool because of the people that I'm hanging out with. Uh, it's not really my bag as far as like a lot of the the attractions and everything. But man, you just go a little bit outside. Missouri's gorgeous. Like, holy crap. Like there's lakes and there's a bunch of like wilderness and mountains. And it's really cool. Like really, really neat. Uh, I mean, it's not the kind of mountains that Alan's all obsessed with being from Colorado. Uh, but, true. you know, this state does have what I heard yesterday. If it is to be true, it has one of the oldest mountain ranges in the world, which is the St. Francis Mountains. I haven't seen them yet, but supposedly they're very old. So, <laughs> yeah, I like stuff like that. I think that stuff's really cool. But a lot of stuff to talk about on the show today. But one thing, the, the primary thing that I want to bring up, because a lot of people have asked questions on this. And so we'll start it here, which is the New Mexico, the governor of New Mexico decided that she was going to use a public health emergency, which this might sound familiar to, you know, people who have listened to our, our program. She used a public health emergency over shootings of young people uh, or mass shootings in it and has claimed that she is going to ban the ability to carry a firearm for 30 days. It's like a 30 days to slow the spread um, of gun violence, I suppose. And, this is interesting because my response uh, on the initial of all of this was, yeah, we told you guys that they were going to do this. This was exactly what we said when a lot of the COVID stuff happened. In fact, in part of a show years ago, we talked about how they would use public health to do exactly this. Right. And so Governor Michelle, uh, Michelle Grisham and this was on Friday, she put out a public health order that will ban people from carrying firearms, either open or concealed, in Albuquerque and throughout uh, Bernalillo, Bernalillo, I think is how it is, county for the next 30 days, regardless of whether they have a permit. Now, of course, cool. you know, normal people looked at this and said, yeah, you can't do that. That's the, you know, that violates the Second Amendment. You can't just suspend people's, uh, you know, constitutional rights. Uh, right. over public health. Now, what people have been asking me about is why they are seeing all of these Democrats come out and say, yeah, no, you can't do that. Like, 
it seems weird because it's like Democrats suddenly started caring about the Constitution when it comes to being able to carry guns. And reasonably so, that seemed odd to a lot of people. Why would Democrats like Ted Lieu or David Hogg, who we all know is basically being paid uh, to push, you know, Democrat uh, anti-gun talking points, why are these people coming out against this New Mexico order? And I have an answer for you all. Ooh. So, Alan and I talked about this over the last few days, and I'm going to explain it, is the Democrats are rallying against this public health order by the New Mexico governor because they don't want it to go to court. And the reason why they don't, well, the reason why they don't want it to go to court is the same reason why the New Mexico governor thought this was a good idea. So I'm going to explain it first as to why this, why Governor Grisham thought, oh, this will be a smart idea. So in her mind, I believe this is all just my opinion because I can't read her mind. In her mind, it was, I'm going to do this and it's going to go to the courts. When it gets to the courts, there's no way a judge is going to be able to look at my public health order juxtaposed against public health orders for COVID and not think, well, I don't want to risk the government's ability to do public health orders for things like COVID. So I guess I have to let the gun thing stand. Make sense? Right. Sure. Because the legal precedent would be the same. Can the United States, basically, can a government, not the United States government, but United States government, state government, can a government suspend the rights of their citizens in the uh, under the auspices of public health? That would be the legal question being asked. So right. in Governor Grisham's mind, she's like, well, I mean, come on, we had COVID. The government's not going to want to get rid of that. They're going to fight like hell for this case because they need the ability to be, you know, to be able to, you know, lock people down because of COVID or force vaccinations. And that would be super scary. So I'm going to use that super scary thing as the predicate for me to be able to ban guns. I'm doing a great thing for liberals. Well, the reason why you're seeing a bunch of Democrats come out is in the same vein, of course, a lot of court, like a lot of courts, specifically the Supreme Court, even the liberals on the Supreme Court are going to look at something like this and go, you can't suspend people's constitutional rights under the guise of public health. It's a violation of the Constitution. There's no point where the Constitution is able to be usurped because you said public health emergency. Well, right. that's pretty damn problematic. If all of a sudden they rule on something like that, because then it makes any enforcement of COVID illegal. Right. So that's why. Uh, now, I think one of the one of the things I think to remember is while Democrats are happily to ignore the Constitution, they also don't want this. They don't want this to go to the courts and then have a court precedent set that ruins their ability to ignore the Constitution in the future. Right. The, it's it's the way that they ignore the, the powerful way that the Democrats are able to ignore the Constitution often is doing it in silence. 
and doing it, doing it basically, um, it's a word I'm looking for, like without being revelatory. So what I mean by that yes. is like with COVID, that is, COVID's actually a really good example. Nothing went to a court. Yeah. And so like nothing, nothing was able to go to a court. So there was no court saying, Hey, this isn't legal. Like you really can't do this because it's different for them to, they, they will gladly ignore the constitution. That's more difficult than ignoring a court. Cause you right. just, you just don't give a shit. Like, I don't care what the, I don't care what the constitution said. I don't give a damn, like whatever. It, it, basically take me to court. That's the answer that they always give. Oh, you think it's unconstitutional? Well, I guess that's up to the courts to decide. That's really their power. Their power a lot of times is lawfare. Their capability yes. of saying, well, you're going to have to take it to a court and we're going to drag this, uh, you know, drag this on over months, possibly even years where I'm able to do these violations until a court says, Oh hey yeah that's that's uh, that's against the constitution and then, go, <laughs> and, and then they go and then they go wow wow okay I guess we won't you know <laughs> like that's that's ninety nine percent of how progressivism and liberalism in the United States works. The problem is is that yeah. this would happen very quickly because it's a very simple and easy decision to be made. And yes. so. I'm, uh, I'm looking at a comment here from Colleen. She says it's a legit explanation for the pushback. And I don't know what she means. Like what part is the legit explanation? Um, unless it's like the uh, cap the capability of them being able to. They basically, they, this kind of court case could actually, the legal precedent set could defang the ability for the United States government um, and state governments to issue things like lockdowns, mask mandates, stuff like that, which I really hope happens. I really hope that this stuff goes forward and there needs to be a definitive court explanation that says, yeah, you can't just suspend the rights of U.S. citizens under the guise of public health. So... I don't think it was her intent. I think that the New Mexico governor was just trying to be, you know, a, a good little progressive and was seizing upon a political opportunity of somebody who died, as Democrats love to do. She was standing on the grave of a child and said, this is how I'm going to, like, launch my political career and get my name in the news. And ultimately, that might result in courts being able to finally say, yeah, you can't just suspend people's rights <clears throat> over public health. That's ridiculous, which I honestly think upends an incredible amount of the Democrat playbook, because I think after COVID, Democrats saw a way to weaponize public health. I think it became sure. exceedingly important to their future strategic goals and their way of implementing their will on the U.S. public, I think a lot of it was going to be through the guise of public health. Because we see it actually, mm -hmm. we see it ferreted mm -hmm. out. For example, a lot of the gender dysphoria stuff, right? Like all the uh, the trans uh, crap that they talk about. What's the, what's the reason why they say that like kids need to get trans surgery and why they need to have their pronouns spoken and why all of this happens? Do you know what the reasoning that they give? What's the big scary thing? That makes it to where people are supposed to agree. What is that? 
It's the suicide rate. Right. The claim by the left is you have to you have to chemically sterilize this child or they're going to get the SADs and commit suicide. I know. Because you don't recognize right. their gender identity and therefore they, they want to die. And so unless you want children killing themselves, uh, you have to, you know, acknowledge their pronouns and we have to be able to take them in at like eight years old and, you know, cut them up and, you know, cut organs off their body. Um, that's the claim that they make. Well, very easy to turn that into a public health emergency, right? Very easy. And so far too easy. Far too easy. And of course, you know, you you can kind of turn it into anything because you have to think about it. A lot of politicians are lawyers. And what's one of the one of the great ways that lawyers make a ton of money in cases is using uh, like emotional uh, things like pain and suffering. Right. So mm -hmm. you'll see this a lot in lawsuits. So somebody has like a bad thing happen and they go to court and they sue. And at first you're like, oh, okay, well, <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't actually know the particulars of this case, uh, but there was, there's a case that people always refer to as being like sort of indicative of how bad uh, the like legal system can be when it comes to lawsuits. And it was a woman who had a mail truck run over her foot. Um, and this is, this is a constant example. It's a real case that happened. And like I said, I don't know all the particulars on it. Uh, I've, I've only ever heard it in passing, but it was something like, it seemed like she stuck her foot out or whatever, but she ended up getting like millions of dollars. And it might be hard for you to explain how does somebody get millions of dollars because a truck ran over their foot? Obviously we, you know, we would look at somebody and say, well, if, you know, if you got hurt, then somebody should pay for your medical bills. And then you should, you should, your life basically shouldn't be bad because someone else made a mistake. That makes sense. That's the kind sure. of justice we all think about. But how does that equate to somebody getting like millions and millions of dollars? Well, the way that they do that is pain and suffering. The psychological pain, the trauma that came from this accident, that's what's worth tens of millions of dollars because it's difficult to quantify. And so- Very true. From that focus point of lawyers who make millions and millions and millions of dollars off of, quote, psychological trauma and pain and suffering, well, they become politicians. And so their focus is, well, I know I know a loophole in legal, you know, in the legal sphere that doesn't account for psychological trauma, pain, suffering, things like this. And so they weaponize that for legislation because it's something that's basically impossible to quantify. Now, when I, I talked about all the trans stuff, well, imagine the, uh, have, has anyone ever heard the term, oh, what is it? A generational trauma. Oh, yes. Yeah. So generational, generational trauma. Yeah, generational trauma is a term that's been, that it's, it's been around for years. And the idea of it is like, they use it a lot for the black community. Well, because slavery and racism existed, you know, in during Jim Crow and then, you know, pre-Civil War and all of this, that generational trauma is actually, that accounts for anything, anything negative that you can say about the black community right now. It's all due to generational trauma. Well, it sounds kind of insane, but it's also one of those impossible to quantify things. But where did the term come from? It came from the same place. Yeah, it came from the same place that a lot of critical race theory came from, which is law schools. That's where critical race theory comes from. 
Generational Jeez. trauma is a term that's taught to lawyers. Oh. Sorry. That was my whole random hip pocket. Like, this is why everything is dumb and lame. And it's and it's all because of lawyers. Well, you're not probably not wrong. That's the thing. Is I'm sure that a lot of stuff like this does come from lawyers and law schools. Yeah. Because that's where that is sort of how power is determined anymore. Like if you're a business, you have to have a lawyer. You have, like the, because lawfare is such a tactic of the left and is such a valuable tool because it is we can't fight in the streets, but we can fight in the courtroom. And of course, lawyers were the first thing the, the left weaponized. Yeah, it's it's the perfect weapon for the times that we are currently in. And it's so gross because, like, it's amazing because nobody, no, no regular person, actually is okay with it. Everybody thinks that kind, these kinds of actions are skeevy, until they see like a benefit coming from it. Right. Like that's why nobody ever talks about like the the integral aspects of a lot of these types of cases. You know, it's. Like somebody might turn around and be like, oh my gosh, it's just so great that this thing is happening now and I'm getting like a good thing out of it. And then, you know, you might have to sit there and go, yeah, but do you know how that occurred? Do you know like how that actually came into being? And then, you know, when you go through that kind of case and everything, you sometimes see these people go like, oh God. And it's like, yeah, you're one of the gross people that does like the gross thing. Like this all came out of a, a like this either all came out of a good lawsuit that lawyers have then turned into shit, or this came out of shit and is still shit. A really great example of this kind of situation is Citizens United. That was a oh, good yeah. case. Citizens United was a good case. For those of you who don't remember, it's Liberals, when they were first pissed off about it, I remember it because I had friends that were like, well, apparently corporations are people. Corporations are people. They were so mad about this. That all came from Citizens United. And what it was is there was a filmmaker who made a movie about how corrupt the Clintons were. And the Clinton right. campaign was so pissed off about this movie that they went after the filmmaker <clears throat> claiming that they had violated the law because it was an in-kind uh, campaign contribution to the to John McCain. Because this was, this was all the way back in 2008, and it was during the primaries. Because it was when Hillary Clinton was the presumed nominee uh, before Barack Obama you know, took it away from her or whatever. But Stole it from her. Yes, probably stole it from her. Uh, but the that that was that was the end result of it was they the Clinton campaign went after a filmmaker who made a a movie a documentary about Clinton corruption and they claimed it was an in kind campaign contribution to John McCain and therefore they violated campaign finance laws. So they, right. they were legally going after. They were trying to claim that a filmmaker broke the law by making a negative movie about Hillary Clinton. This was the real case that they went after. So 
just think about that. Like in 2008, you didn't hear about it because the media didn't care. Like the media didn't actually care that a Democrat presidential campaign was going after a filmmaker and trying to jail them. Right. Because, you know, the violations of campaign finance is a big deal. Dinesh D'Souza went to prison for violating campaign finance laws in one of the most benign ways humanly possible that tons of people do. But for some reason, he went to jail. Um, But anyway, so all of that happened. Well, Citizens United was the ruling by the Supreme Court that said, yeah, you can't you can't do that. Of course, of course, the filmmaker can make a film. And it can be negative about a candidate and that doesn't make it a campaign finance like that. That doesn't being negative about a political candidate doesn't immediately become an in-kind contribution to another candidate. And, you know, the money that they put into something like that does not equate to being directly towards a campaign. So that was the reality. It was a perfectly logical decision. Well, the left was pissed. So that turned into, oh, corporations also have a vote and you know the supreme court said well corporations are just people like it doesn't make sense a corporation is a group of people and they went oh okay we're gonna make super PACs now essentially what it was was they was um what the clinton camp was arguing was that corporations are not people and therefore do not have a first amendment right and what the court determined was, no, corporations have a First Amendment right just like anyone else. We can't, the government can't shut up a corporation simply because the government doesn't like what they have to say. Right. And they took that, they, they took that well-meaning law that makes perfect sense and twisted it into what we now know as super PACs. Right. So as much as... If, if any Democrat complains about dark money and super PACs and like things like that within campaign finance, it's all their fault. Right. Like none of this would have been a problem if Democrats weren't trying to throw people in jail for making mean movies about Hillary Clinton. Right. Right. Like, and that's, that's kind of the hilarious part of it is... I think it is funny that a bunch of liberals get very upset uh, when discussing Citizens United. And it's like, but that was entirely about hiding Hillary Clinton's corruption. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And the media actually, and it's fascinating (coughs) because the media was so complicit in essentially hiding the corruption that they just like, yeah, 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 we can, we can just, we just say stuff. We can just hide that. And then they did. It was, like I said, it's, I think I think it's a fascinating case because of not only because the implications that it created, but also because of the kind of and from the cycle almost like psychological perspective of how people reacted to it and how the media was able to twist it and convince people that it, that it meant that the ruling meant something that it actually didn't. Right. And yeah, it, it's, <clears throat> it was, uh, when I finally like heard about the case, like years later, I was like, wait, this is what this was about. Like, Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Um, yeah. 
but right? you know of, of of course like it's not not a shock to like not really a shock to anyone of course now there's uh more legal stuff because we're going to talk about a lot of legal stuff and um i would apologize for it except it's not my fault it's just how the news is <coughs> so uh, one of the things that came out a couple of days ago is there was a landmark decision made in Missouri versus Biden versus Biden, which was a free speech case. So this is a little messy, but I'll get into it. So it was this went to the fifth Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they issued a ruling in response to the federal government's effort to freeze the preliminary injunction on the government-led speech policing issued by Louisiana Judge Terry Doty. These are all of the, like, the long story short on it is the government was flagging content on social media. And okay. this was another one of those situations where they were using public health because it was during COVID and all of that. And the problem is, is that like this was basically brought into court um, because, yeah, like the government was flagging social media posts for, quote, disinformation. Uh, when it had to do with COVID. And so this ended up, this finally was in the courts. This is how long some of this stuff takes, uh, which is also insane. And it's part of the way, you know, part of the ways that they, uh, part of the ways that they weaponize this stuff is how, is the, the length of time it takes. So this is what the appeals court came down with. Uh, the appeals court affirms that the White House Surgeon General, CDC, and FBI likely violated the First Amendment by proxy through coercing social media platforms to censor. It denies that the myriad, uh, myriad of other agencies and individuals led by those hailing from the National Institutes of Allergies and Inf Infectious Diseases, which was headed by Anthony Fauci, State, State Department, and most importantly of all, CISA, which you all may not know. That is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security uh, Administration. It's under the Department of Homeland Security. Likely violated the First Amendment by proxy. It vacates all of Judge Doty's preliminary injunction, save for the single provision targeting coercive government behavior, which the appeals court has rewritten, and it extends the freeze on the injunction, injunction for 10 days pending an application to SCOTUS. Let's see if there's sure. a more of an explanation here. So the standard used here to absolve CISA, the nerve center of mass public and private censorship, regime of its culpability in speech policing is a major uh, deficiency in the opinion. Uh, so it this is kind of the list out of the opinion. Finally, although CISA flagged content for social media platforms as part of its switchboarding operations, based on this record, its conduct falls, falls on the attempts to convince, not attempts to coerce side of the line. Uh, there is not sufficient evidence that CISA made threats of adverse consequences, explicit or implicit, to the platforms for refusing to act on the content flagged. So, just so everyone's aware, there's an entire agency 
in the well, it's not it's not completely dedicated to it, but there's an entire agency in the United States government that falls under the Department of Homeland Security who has an operation that goes through social media and flags content. Let's just start there. Regardless of the debates as to whether or not the government was being coercive and how it was talking to social media platforms, just know that there are people in the government who go through social media posts and flag them as potentially being bad. That, I think, is bad enough. I don't think we need to go any further. Like, oh, does it matter if they were coercing, uh, you know, the, the social media companies to take the posts down? I think that there's a legitimate concern. There's enough of a legitimate concern of just, I don't think the government needs to be reading my tweets. I think that's pretty reasonable. But, of course, the response is going to be, well, it's on public forum. It's fine. Like, guys, we've all read 1984. We've all like read 1984, Brave New World. We've all seen this dystopian movie. Yeah. Why is the left all about this right now? Like this was supposed to be what 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 I was told early on is this is what George W. Bush was going to do with the Patriot Act. This was the big concern yeah. years and years ago under the Bush administration was the Patriot Act was going to be weaponized to monitor U.S. citizens and go after his political enemies. Here we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Here we are after, you know, heading heading into the 22nd anniversary of September 11th and the predicate that was used for things like the Patriot Act. And what do we have? This is the crazy part was it was supposed to be George W. Bush that was going to become this totalitarianist dictator who was going to use things like the Patriot Act to oppress his political opposition and basically become a fascist or whatever. 22 years later, it's always been the Democrats. It's always been the Democrats using these tools to oppress people. I can't think of an instance enjoy it well and maybe there is i'm not saying that there isn't but i can't think of a large-scale instance where i saw george w bush or i saw donald trump use something like the patriot act to do something completely untoward i saw barack obama do it he killed u.s citizens without a trial now they were terrorists and i get that but we can't pretend like that's not a little concerning when it's a liberal doing it because they want to kill you right. too. <laughs> I think that's really the, or at least for me, that's the crux of the argument is someone like say Donald Trump. I didn't get the sense that Donald Trump would allow the weaponization of these tools in order to hurt me. And I feel like Democrats like Joe Biden absolutely would because of how they discuss me and you know, the identity groups that I belong to. When they say, you know, white people are the world, are the United States' greatest national security threat, I kind of take that a little bit personally. I kind of feel like if you're going to say that, based on nothing but just the color of my skin, I get to be pretty worried that what you're gonna, about what you're going to do with the power of the federal government. Yeah, because... You know, because they, they, they say that the most, yeah, the, the the most concerning national security threat to the United States is, quote, white supremacy. But white supremacy is defined by those same liberals as being white? Yeah. I don't like, know. I don't just, it's bizarre. Yeah, well, I mean, 
I, I'm I'm just I'm connecting the dots for those who might not have like walked that path enough yet to realize that you have to look at how the craziest liberals define quote white supremacy to think about how when when there's a statement by the president of the United States of something like white supremacy is the largest terrorist threat our largest, uh, uh, yeah, largest national security threat in the United States, you have to look at how the crazies define that. Because right, right. they might picture like, oh, well, I don't care if the Ku Klux Klan goes away. I don't care if neo-Nazis, like, go away. Granted, they've never seen these things, but, you know, like, I don't care if they go away, and certainly it wouldn't matter because I've never seen them. You need to understand that, like, that's not how they define it, guys. Like, your definition and theirs are different. <laughs> and their definition is uh, anything that... Basically, if you care about anything, if you look at it and just think, you know, growing... For me, like, growing up in the 90s, I feel like our country was, you know, a lot more unified and things weren't really that bad. Um, That could yeah. be white supremacy. Because somebody's going to go, that, well, black scary. people so had scary. way less rights. Oh, no. Actually, there was an interesting story that the Washington Post published this morning where they were complaining about uh, they, they went through and they found several state flags that, quote, have ties to the Confederacy. Well, that is so scary. Wait, were those states founded, say, prior to the Confederacy? Oh yeah, certainly they were. Oh, yeah. so it's it was it was a it was a dumb story, but it it does actually it is very instructive to people to understand how like especially well, and th and this kind of comes down to like almost the overall theme of the show, which is mm -hmm. how I'm starting to notice, and I think I think a lot of people are as well. The rampant attempts being made by the left to try to basically see what's going to stick in the outrage factory. So for sure. some reason, like seemingly out of nowhere, the Washington Post decides that they are going to write a story about here's like 11 flim. Well, let me get the exact headline on it. So I don't, so I'm not being irresponsible. Um, but it was seven state flags that still have designs with ties to the Confederacy. Well, and that's not concerning. I don't know what it is. This is the the best the best way to to really show this is I'll just read the one for California. So okay. California, right? Grizzly bear, and it says California Republic. It's got a little red star. Hooray! This Fantastic. is this is the way that they frame this this nonsense. In June 1846, a couple dozen American men in what in what was then the Mexican region of Alta, California, took over an unarmed fort in Sonoma and raised a flag painted with a red star, a grizzly bear, and the words, California Republic. Some of them were maybe a bit drunk. A few weeks later, a U.S. Naval squadron showed up in Monterey and its confused com commanding officer raised the star and stripes and claimed California for the United States. The bear flaggers lowered their banner 
and four years into war with Mexico later, California joined the Union as a free state, meaning slavery was banned. Decades later, in the early 20th century, a version of the bear flag became California's state flag. So what does that all have to do with the Confederacy? First, California, yeah, first, California might have been a free state on paper, but it wasn't in practice. Many of oh, its no. early American settlers were pro-slavery Southerners who bought enslaved people who brought enslaved people with them, and others enslaved the indigenous people there, including most of the bear flaggers. According to Not the indigenous people According to historian uh, Jean Falzer, in her recent book, California, a Slave State, enslavers oh, oh, oh. used slave labor in the gold mines, advertised slave auctions in newspapers, and went to great lengths to conceal from their human chattel that they were actually legally free. Numerous records show... California abolitionists purchasing enslaved people to grant them freedom they were supposed to have. As a nation as a nation descended into civil war, Californians were fiercely split and a number of communities flew the disused bear flag to express their support for secession and slavery. Some even proposed the Pacific states break off and form their own nation. In 1911, the bear flag design became the official state flag. And once again, wow. the move was stained with racism. Not Jur racism. <laughs> Journalist Alex Abella wrote in a 2015 opinion piece for the Los Angeles Times, the flag had been revived again by the native sons of the Golden West a whites-only fraternal group that pushed anti-Asian immigration laws and whose president wrote in 1920, California was given by God to a white people and with God's strength, we want to keep it, at, keep it as he gave it to us. The lawmaker who introduced the flag legislation in 1911 was a member of the group, according to Abella, and proposed anti-Asian legislation in the same legislative session. It's time to oh. dump that flag, Abella wrote. Like the Confederate cross of St. Andrew, the bear flag is a, symbol of who, uh, is a symbol whose time has come and gone. Interesting. Huh. So, no, it wasn't part of the Confederacy. No, it had nothing to do with the Confederacy or slavery. But the people who used it may have had slaves, and then the people who voted for it kind of also had legislation that was sort of bad. I mean, it, it sounds like it was really mean. And it's it's proof that they are attempt they are manufacturing outrage. Nobody gives a shit about the flags. It's, it's the same thing as the statue stuff, right? Like we've talked about this yeah. and without going back down all of that, that discussion again, it was just, nobody cared. Nobody gave a damn that there was some Robert E. Lee statue in a park that like people barely noticed and probably didn't even know who it was. There weren't black people who were like, I can't even walk past the park because Robert E. Lee's there. This wasn't happening. Nobody gave a shit. 
Zero people gave a shit until some random idiot was like, oh, I want to, I want to make communities angry and exert power on them to let them know that I can exert power on them. Uh, and I want to be outraged for political reasons, so I'm just going to find that. Oh, I found a Robert E. Lee statue. Uh, that's going to be my way of doing this. That's how all of this has happened. And th that's the problem is everybody knows that that's how this is happening. But then for some reason, one of the things that I kind of hate about the right wing is we're like, well, why are you? We all know why they're doing it. But then we go, why are you doing it? And they're like, well, we just think that it's so oppressive and awful that we're celebrating these like treasonous people. And it's like, well, now I have to figure out how to argue that on that point. But in reality, the your yeah. answer should be, you don't fucking care about that. You're just trying to piss. Like you just, you're a bunch of lawyers in New York who want to go into Southern states and anger white people. So when they get mad, you can point and go, see how racist they all are. <laughs> No, the, and that's... I think there is a there's definitely a component of this of politicians looking to get reelected. Oh yeah, they can sit and talk, say, tell a bunch of minorities, "Hey, you're so super duper oppressed. I'm fighting for you." You don't actually have to deliver anything good for everybody else. You don't have to deliver any real policies that make anyone's lives actually better. You can coast along simply on um, anti-racism. And I think the idea was you can get a bunch of minorities to you can basically scare people into voting for you, make make them out and out of a molehill. You can scare people into voting for you. And again, look at all these issues. Are they actually solving anything? Are they, say, building new power plants or you know, revising the water infrastructure of California or solving any of these huge, serious issues that government should be focusing on? No, they don't actually deal with that. They care. Their focus is entirely on these make-believe issues because those are ones that you don't need to be very qualified to try and solve. Yeah, and, and no one can really quantify what that solution would even look like. Right. Like, what does it look like when you solve this supposed problem? And... Well, and that's the joke that I've consistently made when somebody will be like, oh, they finally took down like this statue or they finally changed the name of this college or this building or this park. I, I think that the response from the right wing should be like, okay, guys, pack it up. Like racism's been solved. All right, everybody. Racism solved. Hooray. We did it. Maybe, maybe we actually have to like take that the full way where somebody's just like, I'm just so bothered by racism. And you just go, what are you talking about? They took down the Robert E. Lee statue. Like legitimately act like, I don't understand. Like make them sound like they're like selfish children. I don't understand. We did all this police reform. We took down those Confederate statues. They, they, they took away the plaque on Robert E. Lee's horse's grave. I mean, what more do you need to be happy that slavery's over? Like, why are you so selfish? <laughs> to me, it speaks to that there's something clearly more that they want from this. That, that oh, they well. feel they can still milk it for some reason. Yeah, I think as long as they feel they can still milk it, we're unfortunately going to have to suffer this nonsense. Well, yeah, the answer is power. Right. I mean, well, it's, it's funny. Um, how much background do you have on some of the ADL fighting that's been going on? 
other than the ADL was started to cover up for a rapist, I don't know. Okay. I, I, me... I haven't been following it extensively. So... <laughs> I was going to mute my microphone for a quick second and and uh, brew some of this trash coffee that's in here so I have something to drink. So do the background on the ADL and then we'll get into that because that's going to be the next caveat on using race and everything for power. So if you could explain that background, that would be awesome. Um, just let everyone okay. know about it covering up for a rapist because literally heads are going to explode. Okay. Uh, so the... ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, is a Jewish advocacy group that tries to stop discrimination against Jews. And that's, of course, a very uh, noble thing for them to do. Nothing really wrong with that on its face. However, the start of the ADL was started when a Jewish factory owner, owner a superintendent named Leo Frank, uh, in 1913, kidnapped or it was um, essentially raped and murdered a girl named Mary Fagan who was working at the factory. He then blamed, he tried to frame a black janitor for the murder. And then when it went to court, the court in Atlanta, Georgia in 1913 looked at the black man and the Jewish factory superintendent and went, well, his story is so bad, and the evidence for him murdering and raping this girl is so good that we convict him of murder. Even though, in supposedly the horrible, racist, white South, they could have convicted this black man for murder. But no, they went, well, this basically whitish-looking Jewish superintendent, he actually killed this girl. And then... Um, through uh, essentially he got a death sentence uh the adl then was founded and lobbied a whole bunch of people in the government of georgia and got him released uh saying that it was all racism against the jews and then a, a mob kidnapped leo frank and lynched him because they wanted to avenge the murder of this girl and that was the start of the ADL, was a bunch of Jewish, a bunch of Jews got together and said, well, this guy, we need to get him off. Um, and again, he was a factory superintendent. He knew a bunch of wealthy people. So a bunch of wealthy, of his wealthy friends got together to try and help him essentially beat this murder charge. And that was the start of the ADL. And that's kind of how they've been operating ever since. So there's been... There's, there, there's been a um, kind of a hilarious, a hilarious goings on, we'll say, which is uh, e Elon Musk has been taking the ADL to task because uh, there are very obvious uh, instances of communications coming from the Anti-Defamation League where they so for for those who may not know, like the full background, there's two groups uh, that the United States government um has relied upon even though it has been roundly criticized uh for defining quote unquote hate especially on social media right. and that's the southern poverty law center and uh the anti-defamation league and these two groups mm -hmm. obviously are extremely liberal groups 
And so you might find it very surprising that the definitions that these groups use happen to only flow in one direction. And that is against conservatives. So Elon Musk in his hilarious Elon Musk way is like, yeah, no, the ADL is garbage because they're anti-free speech and the ADL has, because this, this goes into kind of like the lawfare discussion and everything. Um, he, well, I need people to understand that like, because of all the lawsuits that Elon Musk has had to deal with, with like Tesla and things like that over stuff he puts on social media, he is smart enough to know that everything he says on social media could be brought up in court and be subject to discovery, which means that when he makes accusations, he is likely very prepared to back those accusations up. And one of the claims he made is the Anti-Defamation League has been going to advertisers on the people who advertise on X and has been trying to push and pressure them into dropping advertisements on his platform. So the ADL has been trying to tip the scales against Elon Musk, claiming that it's because he allows hate. When in reality, it's not that. We all know it's not because of that. It's not because of, quote, allowing hate. The reason why the ADL sees Elon Musk as such a threat is because He is not allowing unilateral and total liberal control over the information sphere. That is actually what the ADL cares about. The ADL wants total and complete control over the information sphere. And they don't get that with features like community notes, for example. The community notes feature, I've mentioned this on X itself. If you, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get away from calling it Twitter, uh, mostly because it actually really annoys liberals when you call it X, which is, I think, funny. I don't, I don't know why they care. Oh yeah, like it's, it's super weird. I've when I've if I've tweeted out and called it X, everyone's like, that's how I know you're a muskrat because that's their thing. Get you get it? Oh god, I've never even heard that. Oh my god, yeah, I was. It's these people. You know, like only Elon Musk calls it that. It's like, well, it's it's the name of the platform. He kind of gets to name it whatever he wants. Uh, yeah. Anyway, point is, is that uh, he's he's been able to draw a direct line. The left absolutely doesn't like what he's been doing with X. And a lot of that is the community notes feature has been extremely useful and it's not going in i can tell you flat out it does not go in a single direction i've absolutely seen conservative tweets that have been wrong and have been Hmm. checked by community notes but it is astounding how many liberal tweets get community notes in fact a lot of times anything that's put out by the white house the democrats or the biden administration gets checked with community notes. And honestly, it's fantastic because it'll be things like Bidenomics is working. It's like the economy's great. And the community note will be something as simple as like, 
Well, the Congressional Budget Office actually says that things aren't going super well. Oh, and they've had to revise down all of the employment numbers here. Oh, and you can't say that you created 31 million jobs or whatever, because in reality, a lot of that was people going back to work after lockdowns that were instituted by the government. So like you can't take credit for, you can't take people's jobs away by force and then give it back to them and then claim it, claim it like you've created new jobs. Right. Of course. And so it's, if we're, if we're going to be honest here, it's not even political. Like don't misunderstand and think that community notes is somehow like going to be like a good right wing weapon. It's just the ability for anyone to a group of like a group of people or whatever to fact check things. And it's not been working out well for the left because the left has for years been living in an environment where they go completely unchallenged. Oh, sure. Whereas the right wing, like we get fact checked for like anything. Donald Trump could come out and say like when he was president, he could come out and say, uh, actually like. I have the best on it. Like we have the best unemployment rates for black Americans, uh, in history. Sure. And that would get fact checked. And the fact check would be, we've actually only been tracking unemployment rates for this long, not through history, <laughs> but it would say fact check yeah. false. You know what I mean? And all anyone would see is Donald Trump claims that he has the best black unemployment rate in history. Fact check false. And they would just right. say, we haven't historically been tracking, you know, the whole, the, his whole claim is false because we've only been tracking uh, employment rates since like, I don't know, let's say 1800s or whenever the hell it was, not through all of history. Exactly. Yeah. So, but the ADL, what Elon Musk is pointing out is that the ADL has been trying to weaponize advertisers, basically what they're threatening. They're Mm -hmm. Oops, sorry guys. Yes. I just realized there was a button on the back of my microphone and I was trying to move it and I clicked that button and I didn't know what it did. <laughs> I know now I'm good. Um, but the ADL is trying to coerce and threaten advertisers into not advertising on Elon Musk's platform. That's what they're doing here. They're basically saying, if you keep advertising, we are going to make it painful for you. And understand that the ADL has a relationship with the United States government. They can legitimately exert governmental force in a form or fashion. They can make it very hard for you as a business owner to exist if you have the temerity of advertising your product on a platform they don't like. And Elon Musk is calling that out now mm -hmm. where one of the things that I absolutely detest a lot of times about, you know, right-wing pundits is their coward, their cowardice and fear when it comes to discussing situations like this, you know, for example, obviously talking about the ADL is a bit of a hot button issue. Because sure. you do, you do, of course, there's a lot of people, you know, we all, we all know them. There's the people like Nick Fuentes and whatever that are like, 
oh, like you guys want to talk about like this Jewish group and how bad they are? Awesome. And there's all these weak need conservatives that are coming out and are like, oh God, the Groypers or, you know, people who are like fans of Nick Fuentes, you know, are all jumping on the hashtag ban the ADL. And so now there's all these people on the right wing that are butthurt about it because they're like, well, I don't want to be put in the same boat as Nick Fuentes because he's like, you know, basically a neo-Nazi. And so now the right wing is doing what the right wing does best, which is uh, destroying progress in a good thing because they're afraid of what their liberal friends are going to say. I have seen so many breathless threads that I would equate to because let's just let's just flat out say it. I, at least in my lifetime, the Anti-Defamation League has been nothing more than a vector for liberal nonsense. It has been used sure. as a bully pulpit by a co- by by a racial coalition uh, to force progressivism and liberalism. But there are people, and a lot of them, I have to admit, a lot of them are Jewish. There are a lot of Jewish conservatives. There's plenty on the side that are like, no, fuck the ADL, ban them. But then there's the other weak-kneed ones that are sitting there like, I don't, like, I I absolutely agree with the ADL's mission and a lot of what they've done. I'm just, like, I, I don't agree with their current leadership and the way that it's it's being taken by, I think his name is like Jason Greenblatt or something like that. Like, yeah. the way that he's been taking the organization. And they're talking about, like, the, you know, in being entrenched with the government and all of that. And it's like, uh, what are you talking about? Because the ADL... All they've done is changed. It's been the same tactic. They just changed the medium. They used to do this to mainstream media. They used to do right. this to newspapers. They're now just yeah. fucking doing it to social media. That hasn't changed. And it sounds a lot like it sounds like I'm seeing these right wing pundits write some of these pieces and these threads and whatever. And it sounds a lot like, well, I don't mind that they're like a liberal weapon. I, I just think that they're a little too liberal now. Like they, they can still be a threatening body that uses the threat of governmental force and coercion to push progressive politics that ultimately will destroy the principles that I love. Just don't, just don't call me a Nazi. Okay. Yeah. And it's pathetic. It is and pathetic. And it's very silly. The, the, the part... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, go on. I was going to say, they are a... Um, they're, a li- they're basically a liberal activist group that cries anti-Semitism at anything the left wants to destroy. Yes. That's... And I don't understand why that's so difficult for people to admit. It's just like the Southern Poverty Law Center. A bunch of leftists got together, made an organization that cloaks itself in righteousness, but is basically essentially used as a weapon to bludgeon the rest of us. The SPLC and the ADL are both on the list of the organizations that, um, what is it, that advise the FBI on basically white supremacist terror threats. Okay, well, extract the names of these organizations out. And what you and what the people think they're for, it's at their core. If you look at their actions at their core, they are a left wing 
activist group that uses claims of racism and anti-Semitism to destroy the political opponents of the Democrat Party. And yeah. that's all that matters to me. A bunch of people will say, well, but the Holocaust. And so therefore we should let the ADL just do whatever they want. It's like, I, I'm sorry, that's not compelling to me in the slightest. I don't really care that this his, it's or it's like saying, well, the slaver, you know, the history of slavery means that we should just allow the Southern Poverty Law Center to do whatever they want. Like they get to advise the FBI and demonize the rest of us because, you know, slavery was just so bad. And that's not compelling to me at all. I don't feel any I don't feel any need to agree with that fundamental assertion. Well, and it's it's funny because if anybody is truly embracing of what it means to kind of be like on the right and, you know, sovereignty, individual liberty, all of those things, you don't support racial groups like this. Mm hmm. Because you would look at it as being like, it's obviously leftism because the idea right. of it's like, well, no, we're a Jewish group that like goes out after Jewish hate. And it's like, well, it should just be everybody goes after hate, right? And they're like, well, no, it's specifically Jewish hate and we're specifically a group of Jewish people. And it's like, yeah, identity politics is basically just liberalism with extra steps. Not really my, not really my gig. Like. It's a very unrepublican and unconservative thing to have identity sure. politic like identity politics is a very unconservative thing because the whole thing that appeals to the right wing conservatism and all of that is the idea of mm -hmm. individual liberty, individual merit. So right. you can't really say that you're like a principled conservative, but then be okay with identity politics. It doesn't make any sense. Right. The problem is, at the same time, and this is part of the human condition, is, I mean, there are plenty of writers and commentators and personalities on the right who are Jewish that don't want to lose the weapon of being able to say anti-Semite. Right. I think that's a big issue, is a lot of people on the right in I always have to wonder if there were, if there, okay, well, let's just put it this way. If there was an activist group whose sole goal was to activate, is to be an activist for the, um, I guess, needs and interests of white people, I don't know that I would really be working all that hard to make sure that that organization became powerless. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because at the, at, it's like at the end of the day, like, I do have an identity with those people. Mm -hmm. And if there is ever a threat against, say, white people, I would want that organization to exist. And I think that's the difficult position a lot of Jewish people find themselves in is the, they, the, the ADL represents the interest of Jews. And it represents, and if they're, and again, like, let's go to the legacy of the Holocaust. I think a lot of Jewish people, even if they are on the right and they don't like the ADL, are at least, I have to wonder, would look at it and go, it's it's worth it to keep this group around, even if they're currently doing things I don't like. Because if I ever, if the situation ever changes and 
hey, there's a, you know, the Nazis come back into power and there's another Holocaust. It would be useful to have a group that advocates for me and mine like this. And I can't really fault them for that. Right. Well, yeah. It, well, and that's, see, the, the difference is, is that that's you just being very honest. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, who, who doesn't want to have a group that's going to advocate specifically for them and, you know, get some extra gibs and whatever. I mean, I'm not trying to be dismissive of it, but the whole idea of it is like, who doesn't want to have a group that's going to advocate specifically for your in-group? The thing is, is Absolutely. we all know that that's not right, at least in the current structure of how things work, right? Because white mm -hmm. people aren't allowed to have that. You know, like you can't have that group. You're not allowed to. It, it, if you had a group, if you had a group that was advocating specifically for white people, it would probably be like labeled as something as like, I don't know, like the greatest domestic terrorist threat in the United States or something crazy like that. Um, <laughs> if you had like an ADL for white people, it would probably be called a terrorist organization. Um, or the FBI would create one. And they would call it the yeah. GDL. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I think that that's what it's called. Um, it was the, the the supposed group that this blood tribe comes out of is like the... Uh, oh, I can't oh, the remember. The Goyim Defense League? Yeah, the Goyim Defense League. Yeah. I don't I don't know anything about that or, who, or what they're all about, but... It's... There's no it way. It certainly sounds cringe. It sounds cringy and lame. It, there's, there's no, there's zero way that this wasn't made by the feds because we would have heard about it before now. Or at least if it is real, if it's not, if it is a real thing, it's not um, serious. It's, it's it not be a bunch of dudes being like, wouldn't it be funny if we had a group called this? It's not popular among the people who it would. It should be popular among if the claims about it were true. Right. Like, I don't know a better way to say it. Alan, you and I would see it. We would have seen it. Most we definitely, yeah. We would have heard about it. We would have seen it. And it just happened to show up magically like last week. So now I'm calling bullshit. But the point is, is mm -hmm. that the thing is, is you're just being honest. Uh, some these these other people on the right they're not they they're never going to publicly say like well i don't want to get rid of a group that is going to defend my in-group i don't want to get rid of it i just want it to be less liberal or something along those lines there could there is possible that if you were say on the right and you were jewish it's possible there's all you would also run the risk of well or any anybody on the right criticizing the adl it is very loaded because every, because of the Holocaust, there is definitely a an element of nobody wants to be the guy that everyone can go. So I guess you just want another Holocaust then. That's such a, that is a very effective tactic by the left that we do kind of have to recognize is a thing. That if someone says, I don't really like the ADL, the response from anyone on the left is, so I guess you just want them all to be gassed. You go, well, no, I don't. it's the same as saying, I don't really like the Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, so you think slavery was great and black people are subhuman. I think a lot of people, just to avoid that debate, 
will refuse to criticize these groups because they just they don't want to talk about it and they want to talk about something else. Right. So we have a um, well, we have a couple of comments here. Uh, there seems to be somebody who's not really picking up on the nuance of the discussion. Uh, it says, I don't really understand Alan's point of view. A white group for white people, like you literally said all people against hate agree, like they agree with that, but then propose something that sounds a little bit clanny, meaning like, you know, the, the white in-group. Okay, well, th uh, that's exactly my point. Is the, <laughs> like, what is the ADL except for the KKK for Jewish people? Yes, so yeah, there you how go. Would that's... It, how would it be any different? Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the nuance of the 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 claim that's being made here is you if you know this person uh, Lethbridge if you see it as being a little bit clanny, yeah, that's the fucking ADL, that's the SPLC, that's the uh, NAACP. Why is that not clanny? How come it's only clanny if white people have it? That's that's the whole point of this discussion is. The idea is in yeah. in conservative in conservatism and on the right, the idea is there just shouldn't be there there unless every single group can have their own like silly little in group whatever, then just don't have it. Don't have identity politics. It should be based on the individual. That is sort of the, that is the agreement that most people on the right have. Most people who vote Republican all agree that people should be judged as individuals and not based on you know some sort of immutable characteristic. Alan's point of it, if you're confused by that, is it is natural, though, for human beings to want to defend their in-group, which is how groups like the ADL and all of these other racial groups exist. And it's also why you will not see a large amount of people on the right that are within that in-group fight very fiercely to get rid of them because it's a very natural reaction. Right. Not necessarily even saying that, like we, it's that's just human nature. We're just cl claiming human nature. Obviously, the solution to it is, at least for right now, we shouldn't have any of it. Identity politics is a vector for leftism, but yeah. we live in the real world where all of these groups are going to be pandered to. Yes. So, um. <laughs> Now, of no, course, I think that that's, that's a very good point. And that just that proves exactly how I mean, people have been very deluded about this. Mm -hmm. If you say I want the ADL, but for white people, everyone recoils in horror. Right. Which is a shocking, which is which is shocking. Why would that be so bad? If the ADL is a good thing, if the ADL is a good thing, why would it be bad to have the same for white people? Right. Well, that's that's the clan. If the ADL isn't abusing that power, well, then why would an ADL for white people do it? Like, why right. would that be bad? And everyone goes, well, like, that sounds like clanny. Well, I'm sorry, but maybe that's what the clan was. I don't know. Would you, do you know if that was, was it, would it be true? Is it possible to have any group that advocates for white people? Or would that always be evil, awful, and racist? If not, that means we're second-class citizens, and I don't want to be a second-class citizen. Right. Yeah, and that's the... Um, we, mm -hmm. Why does every other racial group get to advocate for their own interests against our own? Either, either, either identity politics is never okay, and we should criticize groups like the ADL and the SPLC for favoring one racial group over another, or 
because we live in a multicultural, multiracial society, we have we acknowledge that we always will have racial activist groups, and therefore you can't restrict them just to certain groups of people. Yeah, I would love to live in a color and race blind society, and so either we we try to do that, or we live in a society where races have to compete against each other and have advocacy groups. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Yeah, and that's exactly it. And I, I think that that's, um, yeah, obviously looking at the comments, it's like, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. And it's like, yeah, but uh, right, also right. to be fair, thank you for the comment because you you did prove the point. Like, you know, where yeah, from and and it's not it's not your fault, you know, Lethbridge. It's 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 not your fault. You specifically you reacted in exactly the way that we naturally see people react, which is like, ooh, it kind of sounds like you guys are talking about like forming the Ku Klux Klan, and it's like. That's the exact point we're making. You only think that way, not you specifically, people only think that way about somebody talking about a white advocacy group. But every other racial advocacy group is never viewed with the idea of like, well, they're going to do like horrible, awful things and, and they're going to be pushing for the supremacy of their own group. And it's like, but but they are, though. That's That's how all of yeah. this would work. Or none of it would work that way. Or, you know, whatever. However... There's a million different permutations you can look at. Uh, my whole point of it is just if you're truly on the right and you believe in individuals over collectivism, you can't support identity politics. You just can't. And I'm seeing too much weakness over – and it's, it's weakness over fear of um, association. And so it's this yeah. weakness of like, well, I'm not going to say ban the ADL because I don't want people to think that I'm like a, a neo-Nazi. So I, so I would rather just reform the ADL. And it's like, no, you should be against it. And it's the, the baseline of it for us is this is an easy argument. It's identity politics is gross and it is a it's a vector for dividing society so it can be conquered by an elite group of globalists. This is not hard, guys. And oh no, right. a liberal might call me a Nazi for having that opinion? Oh gosh, whatever am I going to do? Uh, yeah, I do. That, that That is the second part, is these are left-wing activist groups. Yes. And they do not pursue policies that we want for ourselves or our children. Yeah. And it kind of doesn't matter why they are pursuing these things. It doesn't matter to me what their basis is and who they're advocating for. At the end of the day, they're going to make the country worse for me and my descendants, and I don't want that. It's perfectly natural for me to not want them to be successful because their goals are antithetical to the country I want to live in. You know what I think is the funniest part about this whole debate too? I think that groups like the ADL I mean, like we'll specifically say for the ADL, I think the ADL is the one of the primary sources of anti-Semitism in the United States. The uh, actions and activities yeah. of the Anti-Defamation League is one like one of the biggest things that I see, like look, looking at groups of people that, you know, are kind of like. Hey, but like, what if we didn't allow, you know, certain people in this country? Um, those people use the Anti-Defamation League as some of their reasoning. Like, oh, sure. I think I think everyone like people may not want to acknowledge it, 
But I think everyone really, really does know when you get down to it and look at it, these racial groups are responsible for a lot more racism than they solve because their constant advocacy equates to um, an adversarial situation. It always has to be, we should take this away from this group, this racial group of people and give it to my racial group of people. And so it pits races against one another. So one of the right. leading causes of racism is literally these racial, these supposed racial advocacy groups. And I think, I think that that's an uncomfortable truth that people really don't want to get into, mm -hmm. but I think everyone can kind of very openly acknowledge that. And so I find right. it well, it's, it's similar to like Black Lives Matter. If I, or actually it's a, a great example is, is groups like the ADL are huge supporters of things like um, affirmative action. And affirmative yes. action is blatant discrimination against whites. And if I wanted to increase the ranks of the Ku Klux Klan, I would set up a system like the ADL promotes against white people. If you want to live in a country with racial harmony, you can't have groups like black, you can't give groups like the SPLC and the ADL control of government influence, which is what they have. They, they advise the FBI on who needs to get censored, on who's the wrong thinkers. And as the government continues to collect more and more power over speech and other things, groups like the ADL will be more and more powerful when it comes to twisting the government against everybody else. And that is going to create more and more racial disharmony that is going, it's, it becomes a negative feedback loop. It's like, do you want people to be at each other's throats over race? Well, you can't have racial advocacy groups who base their entire existence on, quote, combating the evil, awful racists because they will inevitably find more racists to combat regardless of what the reality is, because that is why they exist. And so and so you inevitably are because groups like the ADL exist. And because people know about them, because Black Lives Matter exists, and because they all, all of these groups get pandered to by the government, you will inevitably get a backlash as white groups form. And they're probably not going to form as just quiet, nice advocacy groups. They're going to be militant because essentially groups like ADL put white people under threat. Mm -hmm. That is exactly how they talk. That's the, they, they talk about, oh, white supremacy is the greatest terror threat the country has to face. Well... You can't can respond to that in any way that isn't increasingly militant. Which is why it's like basically the ADL sets us on a very bad course because they are so because they are explicitly for one group over another. It means that it creates the conditions where we all have to be at each other's throats over race, ethnicity, religion, etc. And right. that's why I don't like the ADL existing. I don't like it not because I hate Jews, but I don't like it because it creates a situation that only results in bad things happening. It only makes the situation worse for the rest of America. Maybe it makes things better for Jews, but if it creates an America that's more unstable and likely to fight amongst itself, then that's a very bad trade-off. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, and and well, yeah, and that's kind of the the overarching point. Now, unfortunately, we we need to 
pull off of this a little bit and and like sure. yeah i wanted to do the i wanted to do the news story of like yeah there's arguments with elon musk kind of like pointing out the adl and talking about how they're garbage um but at the same time um you know i i really wanted to just highlight my kind of disappointment in a lot of right-wing commentators being too afraid to fully say exactly what you just said which makes perfect sense like i don't think that this is a difficult stance to have and i think that it perfectly aligns with the principles that everyone seems to agree to. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the case for everyone because not everybody wants to, not, not everybody wants the playing field to actually be even. They, they, sure. they certainly like having the extra, you know, they want their cake and they want to eat it too. You know, as, as people say, um, right now, the, Another story, which is fantastic to kind of go along with some of the lawfare stuff. Uh, and there's actually a couple of things coming from well, you know, Virginia, where I live. But uh, as of today, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin has pardoned the Loudoun County dad uh, who was arrested um, by police when he was at a school board meeting. This happened um a couple of years ago, and I know we covered it when it happened and it, it had been a big enough news story, but there was a, a father that was showing up these school board meetings because they were lying about his, his daughter was raped in a school by a boy that dressed in a skirt and was in the women's bathroom and the school covered up that rape and transferred the student to another uh, transferred the male student to another school where he committed another sexual assault. And this actually became a huge national story and really started kind of waking up a lot of parents to like what's going on in school boards because it was found that the school lied. The school absolutely lied about what occurred. And it was because they they lied about and just understand this a a I believe she was like fifteen, a fifteen mm -hmm. year old girl was raped, and the school lied yeah. about it because they were afraid that people would be anti-trans, right? And so, and it was so glaringly obvious, and I I will I will flat out say it. This is th stories like this one in Loudoun County, Virginia are exactly why Governor Glenn Youngkin won. And it isn't so mm -hmm. much that Governor Glenn Youngkin won the governorship. It's more that Terry McAuliffe, a huge Clinton financier, used to work for the Clinton machine and raise all of their money. He lost. And the reason why he lost was a very simple statement. There was a question that was asked, which was, do parents have a say in their children's education? And Terry McAuliffe answered no. And that is why mm. Terry McAuliffe lost. And Governor Glenn Youngkin is the governor of Virginia. That doesn't, that's not meant to detract from Glenn Youngkin. It's just, that is, I think, the reality of the situation here. Right. I think that's a, I think it's great. I'm really excited to see a Republican basically standing up for their constituents. Yeah. Like it, as crazy as it is as it seems, it's it's a really good sign of the times that 
he's willing to take the political risk to do something un unpopular like this. Yeah, because well, I, I can I can imagine mm -hmm. that he would get a lot of criticism for uh, essentially being this way for helping out someone that the left is going to call an evil, awful, terrible racist. Right, and it it's it's a really great. Um, well, it I think. As weird as, or not as weird as this sounds, but I, I think in, in all honesty, Republicans focusing on places like local things like the school board and stuff like that, I think is a very large success for uh, the GOP heading into this next election. I think keeping people's eyes on how these politics, especially like the national level progressive politics, filter down into your everyday life through things like the school board. The idea that people didn't mm -hmm. realize that their school boards have been infiltrated by like the most psychotic leftists. And normally you would think like, oh, if this person's like a crazy shit lib, like, ah, whatever. Like they're just figuring out the busing schedule. And then people right. realize like, oh, wait, that's, that's not how, that's not actually how it works. Oh shit. And it's like, yeah, these people are making decisions like, who can go into the bathroom with, or who can go into a locker room with, with your like daughter, you know, who can play on yeah. a sports team and, and that it's, it's also, what are your children being taught? And are you allowed to know? Because understand there are absolutely people in the teachers union that don't think that there's any reason they don't, they don't think that there's, they should be required at all to share the curriculum of what they're teaching your children with you. They don't think that they should right. have to do that. And what's super weird about it is normal, regular Americans are going, but like, why not? Like, why, why would you, why wouldn't you want to share that? What are you hiding? Yeah. Cause it certainly, it certainly seems it, like it, they're it, hiding something. Yeah. And I can only imagine if you were a parent, it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't matter where you sit on the political spectrum as a parent. I think there is a, I would hope, correct me if I'm wrong, do you think the vast majority of parents, regardless of where they sit on the political spectrum, look at these sort of policies and think that it makes, this, makes their children safer, that is going to result in their children having a better life? I don't think so. No, like I, I think that it all, it all always comes back to like, it, it, it's never direct advocacy for a lot of these people. For example, like let's take a lot of the trans stuff that they're pushing in public schools these days. The majority of like, especially moms who are the ones that are getting really vocal, you have basically, you have actually like two realistic camps that exist. There are the moms that have become way more politically woke and active, meaning I don't mean woke in the idea of leftism. They, it's like, there are a lot of moms that are like, oh yeah, I wasn't really political. I just kind of like watched Netflix and did whatever. But then I started looking into this stuff and they've become like, oh my God, burn it all to the ground. And they're like super right wing. That's happened in the last couple of years. There's a lot of women who had kids in public schools and they started paying attention to their school board and they've sure. gone like crazy. Like they they have gone very very militant and are like, oh my god, these people need to be stopped. 
On the other side of that are parents that I think are also naturally uncomfortable with what they're seeing, but are afraid of appearing mean. But understand something before we dive into that. Neither of... So I think that these, those two groups are the majority of parents that are, you know, have any sort of opinion whatsoever when it comes to the policies at their schools. I think that that's the vast majority. Let's say it's like 90%. Neither of those groups actually agree with what the school board's doing. It's just one is militantly and avidly against it. And the other one doesn't like it, but is kind of afraid to speak up. But understand that neither of them are advocates or activists for what's occurring. That would be possibly at most that other 10% of liberals who are like, no, drag queen story hour all day, every day. Interesting. Because... That's the person I've never met having this discussion with regular people. I have not once met a single parent when talking about schools and uh, these policies. I have not met a single parent who says, well, no, I think it's great. In fact, one of the one of the people that I bring up when you and I talk about this uh, in our show prep is I know a librarian at a school and he very, he very much does not like the right wing. He very much is not a Republican, but he doesn't spend his time directly advocating. He yeah. either one claims that they're not doing the thing that everyone claims they're doing. For example, he's like, we, we don't have a bunch of like sexual books in our library. Oh my God. Like that's not happening. That's not true. Like, that's not a real thing. Oh my God. That's not a real thing. And it's like, but, but it is though. Cause I've, I've, I've had well, these, yeah. I've had these yeah. talks with him. I was like, like, I, I've tried to not like, you know, I, I try to not like super argue with this guy, but I was like, well, but no, like there are people that are finding these books and they're like reading them at school boards though. And he's like, no, no, like parents come to us and then they tell me that like they want all these books and we don't have them. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's great. So you don't have it. So uh, so I've, I've flat out asked him, oh, so you're annoyed that people are like watching the news and then they just assume that you have like these books that basically have porn and like whatever. He's like, no, what I'm saying is like schools don't have these. And I was like, no, but they do though. They're finding them in schools. Like, that's a real thing. They are doing it. And he's like, I don't, he's like, there might be a couple that they find, but it's not like a, it's not like a big problem. And it was like, but it is though, because people are finding it though. I, I think what he might be pointing at is he might say, might be, if he's being totally honest, maybe it's in an, my school, this isn't a thing. Right. But well, the yes. problem is in some, he has to acknowledge in some schools, it is something that has happened. Well, and that's it been is something that has been pushed by schools. There are video, and I think maybe it's you know I don't know how I don't know how prevalent it is, but I do know for a fact that I have seen video from school board meetings where parents get up and say, "This is the book that I found in the school library," and there's a guy with another person's penis in his mouth, and I don't think that should be in the library. And so because people can see that and know that it is happening somewhere, it is not, 
I think it is shocking that this gentleman wouldn't acknowledge that they are right to be concerned. And instead of responding to those concerns and saying, oh, we'll be totally transparent. Here's all the books in our library. Here's like how we are teaching kids, etc. It's only dumb right wingers care about this and I hate them. So I have to disavow. Well, and, and that's that's what's really funny is like some of the most recent um, news stories that have come out is like parents that have gone to these school board meetings with books that they found like in their elementary school kids library and they start reading it and the school board tries to shut them down because the things that they are reading are in violation of the like right. codes of the school board meetings like, you know, because it's filth it's absolutely pornographic like filth that is in a book like at an elementary school and the school board's like cutting the microphone and being like sir you need to stop like you can't say these things and like this guy the the, the person in the video specifically that i saw is like beside himself in rage because he's like this is in our library and the lady's yeah. like, you don't need to be reading it. And he's like, my child doesn't need to be like, and that's the whole thing is these parents are like, I'm not crazy for being upset about this. Like right. you're even acknowledging that this is not appropriate, but you're like not willing to go the extra step and be like, oh, this isn't appropriate. And also at the same time. Oh God, it's in our school. Like that obviously is a very bad situation. And the funny part about like the, the debates I had with this, this school librarian is he is more focused on making it a, this outrage isn't real and it's not really a problem. than he actually is about acknowledging like the, the thing he doesn't want to acknowledge is this is a real issue. He wants to pretend like it's being made up. Like a bunch right. of right wingers are making this like mountain out of a molehill and like, it's not a real thing and it's not a problem because to him, his big claim is like, Oh, it's not a real issue. I don't have books like that in my library. And my response right. to him always is that's great. But, but these books do exist in school libraries and the teachers union is defending that and that is a problem. And he can only go back and go, well, well, no, those books aren't in my library. And so people being upset about it is stupid. And it's like, but, but they are in li like, I don't understand why we're yeah. having this discussion. And he's like, nope. Nope, like right wingers are stupid because I don't have this and and what I can't get him to do and what I've finally basically done is go but it would be a problem if they were, right? Like it is a bad thing if these are in school libraries. Yeah. And the only response that he can have is well, it's not, so I don't have to I don't have to make that call. And it's like, but if you did have to make the call, it would be against the porn in libraries, right? Yeah. And it's it's shocking that he has a tr has troubles trouble with that. You think it'd be so easy just to say, "Oh, yeah, I totally get why they're upset. I I make our I'll just make our entire library's catalog available online and you can just look at all the books and that's 
it's and and if there's a problem, then talk to me and or and we'll figure it out. Right. And but what it what it comes down to is the reason why he can't do that is that would be a win for the bad guys. You know, the the bad evil yeah. right wingers, you know, who don't want porn in their fucking school library. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> And what's, and, it's amazing that it, it – well, I think this is a good example of how these issues get framed and then how they become impossible to solve. I think it's no coincidence that issues like this are made very partisan because it means guys like this will absolutely ignore the problem because, they, well, any problem that someone on the right wing has has to be ignored and denigrated. I can't allow – these people to talk about any of these things. And I think right. that's just very, it's very interesting to me that that's how, I don't know, how the uh, situation develops. Well, I think, I think that it's an acknowledgement of like, you look at states like Virginia, you look at Governor Glenn Youngkin being able to win against um, someone like Terry McAuliffe, who was the previous governor. Like, he was the governor yeah. and then his lieutenant governor because we don't, they only do a four-year term. Um, sure. So he was the previous governor. Then his lieutenant governor ran and then he was going to run again and he lost. And he lost to kind of a unknown Republican at the time. And he lost specifically because of a lot of this like school board stuff and the – one of the biggest things that people saw was the pervasive relationship between the teachers' unions and schools. And the fact is, is that mm -hmm. that uh, that group, that coalition is anti you, you, the parent. They think you're right. dumb and you shouldn't have a say in anything. And to be ultimately, I think it's it's a even greater part of liberalism, which is they all think you're stupid. True. And so they all think you're stupid and they don't think that you should have a say in anything because you're you're a bunch of dumb fuds and you shouldn't be allowed to speak. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because I think that there's a large acknowledgement in reality from the left, which is we have to get people to stop talking about this because we lose every time. Oh, they definitely do. They definitely do. And like, that's the problem is they can't go against the teachers unions. They can't go against the idea uh -huh. of... <clears throat> Because, like, let's just be honest. They're like, no, parents shouldn't have a say in their kids' education because then they would become infuriated that we're indoctrinating their children. And we need to indoctrinate their children. <laughs> right. I mean, am I, am I wrong, though? Like, I know that that sounds, it, that sounds hyperbolic and ridiculous, but isn't that kind of the takeaway that everyone's getting when you start talking about education and seeing how these people react? Yeah. Is it's like, oh, they they need like basically they they need unobstructed access to your children without your ability and oversight. And it's like, why? What are they doing? And it's like, oh, they're indoctrinating them. Yeah. It's funny. Uh oh. It, it's funny because the um the excuse that's used for not wanting to inform parents about things like, uh, you know, a kid being trans, for example, like the reason why they're so against, uh, cause that that's another, uh, some other legislation, 
uh, that's being put forward like here uh, that's being put forward in Virginia, which is that like, yeah, there just needs to be parental consent. If you're going to use alternate pronouns or whatever, you, you need parental consent uh, before you start doing stuff like this involving someone's child. And the left's defense against that is, well, what happens if, you know, the school calls home and then those parents don't support that kid and they're going to obviously like beat the shit out of them, maybe even murder them. And it's like, uh, that's not, that's not really a thing. Like right. they'll, they'll probably find an example or something where this has occurred, but like, this is not a pervasive that there, there are plenty of parents that have kids that are gay or want to use alternate pronouns that just are like, okay. A lot of times I think parents are like, it's a fucking phase because let's just be honest. Being trans is just the new goth these days. Um, Certainly. Yeah. But like they create this situation of like, well, what happens if the parents are some sort of religious people and then they like, beat their child because they're so upset over them being trans. And you're like, is what percentage is that happening? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this happening? Oh yeah. There's this one news story and one's too many. So we shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to tell parents about anything. Like, Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's very surprising that it is allowed to go on the way it is allowed to go on. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I said uh, being trans is a, is a fad, like, like being goth. And the response we got, yo-yos are a fad. So is cutting your dick or balls off. <laughs> Those are a little different. I will acknowledge that. Uh, Colleen has a comment here. It's uh, the worst part that the worst part is that the libs want to be want to be stupid. Yeah. Libs are gen generally believe the need for politicians to choose. I'm sorry. I uh, I made the mistake of like, oh, I'm going to read this comment out, and I'm not actually wearing my glasses. Oh, well, that's just silly of you. Don't do that. Libs genuinely believe she needed politicians to choose for her because they're smarter than her and they're mad at conservatives. Yes, they certainly oh, are. Okay. Yeah, they... Okay, I, 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 I understand what's being said here. Is Yeah, no, liberals legitimately believe that politicians need to make decisions for them because they're smarter. So this is the whole expert class argument. This is the biggest, one of the, one of the biggest uh, actual dividing lines between people on the right and people on the left right now is people on the left believe in the expert class there. People take it as hyperbole and I can understand it where it's like all the people that are like the people that are currently driving right now in their cars alone, wearing a fucking surgical mask. Are people who are like, I listen to the experts. I'm smart because I listen to the experts. And let's just be yeah. honest. A lot of the people on the right are like, I'm going to 
make a decision for myself based off of the objective information that I see, hear, and have read. And the left says, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. You're too stupid to make that decision. You should listen to the experts. But we're not wrong for pointing out how wrong the experts have been, how faulty the experts' data is, and how easily they lie. And it goes through all sorts of things. I mean, we just talked about the ADL, right? That's a group of experts. Those are supposedly yeah. experts on hate. In the same vein, you had all the experts who talk about climate change. And we know, we've talked for years about how weaponized that is. You're not allowed to be a climate scientist who doesn't accept climate change because you will be ostracized and destroyed for not doing it. It is a religion. It is considered a heresy to not acknowledge climate change. You're not allowed to not acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. So that's not a true, you can't say, you know, it's like 99% of scientists agree. It's like, yeah, 99% of people with a gun to their head will say whatever the fuck you want. Yes. And so, you know, that's, that's the whole climate change like dilemma. But then we see it with COVID as well, where there's a lot of stuff that everyone's like, Oh yeah, like we're, I mean, of course we're all now seeing it, right? The the FDA is acknowledging that like masks didn't work. They're acknowledging that the vaccines didn't fully give immunity. All of these things that we fought for years, for a couple of years about on social media, with family members, with friends and with coworkers, everything you believed, you know, you dumb idiot that wasn't listening to the experts, well, the experts are now agreeing and saying, oh yeah, they were right. And I can't help but think that part of the reason that nobody wanted to really release that information is you being right was a problem. They can't have people like you be right. Right. Because then yeah. other, other people might listen to you. And that's an issue because then they're not going to be listening to the experts. Well, but we, but the experts have got to always be right, though. Surely, yeah. Like, what what happens? Yeah, what happens if the people that you claim are the only voice of reason in the room are wrong? And that's what's so fascinating is like on our side of the you know on our side of the aisle. Let's say on the right, people are able to be wrong because we were allowing people to make their own decisions. Now. Obviously, I know a lot of people that were, I know a lot of people that were you know, very anti-vax, of course, like they were like, do not take this vaccine. Don't do it. Don't do it. But what I haven't seen is them be violent towards people that are like, I've seen them be sympathetic towards people that are like, mm -hmm. I have to, or I lose my job. Or sometimes right. people that'll say, I took it and I made a mistake. I haven't seen, now there's the occasional asshole out there, but what I haven't seen is people be like, you're an idiot. You're a complete idiot. You deserve to have myocarditis because you're stupid. I haven't seen a lot of that, but that's exactly how the left would react. You didn't oh, listen. Certainly. Yeah. You didn't listen to the experts. You're dumb. You're a dummy dumb and you deserve everything bad that happens to you. Then it's not the same thing. Most certainly. And I don't, I think on the right, there's a lot more less because we're not being ginned up to hate people by the media, 
Mm-hmm. I think you get that that scenario happens a lot less. Right. Exactly. But that's going to have to be the final thought for the show. Of course, we'll be posting this show as well as a podcast. So if anybody wasn't able to catch the entire thing, you'll be able to get it as a podcast this evening uh, on any podcatching device. And uh, it'll, of course, have all the wonderful you know theme music and everything involved in it uh, until I figure out how to fix this broadcasting software that's not playing nice. Uh, but normally we'd have our cool outro music going. But thank you everybody for being able to tune in today. Of course, we will be back next Sunday at noon Eastern live here on Rumble as well as uh, posting it as a podcast, like I said, every single Sunday. So be sure to check it out and you can go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrongthinkradio where you can become a subscriber for two ninety nine a month. You'll be able to join our Discord channel there and talk amongst our entire community of people where there's a lot of news stories shared and a lot of opinion put out there. And of course, you'll get any updates that are going on on the show there. And be sure to follow us on social media, wherever you can find us. Uh, Primarily, it's on X and Facebook. We do occasionally still post on Facebook. Uh, But other than that, I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. And this is Wrong Think Radio. We'll see you all next week.